0: Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Really glad that you are here. Good morning to all of you watching and listening online, all of you in North Durham. Good morning, all of you who are watching this in Florida because you're in March break. Yeah, good morning to you too. We're so glad that all of you are joining us. Welcome to a new series out of the book of Jude. Now, whether you've been a believer for decades, you are a seeker wondering what the Christian faith is all about, you're a skeptic who was brought, no matter who you are this morning, you're most welcome. But I need to share with you as we get going the context for this mini-series. A year ago, I was sitting with Jesus talking to him about what he wanted to speak to our community in this ministry year. And it was so unbelievably clear that the emphasis that the Spirit of Jesus wanted to speak to us about was the Spirit himself. And that's why we preached in the Holy Spirit. It was clear that the book of Acts would be the major series we did this year. That was clear. The Spirit of God was clear to us as a leadership. There needed to be space to work through some family issues. That turned into the series we just did on biblical well-being, soul care, and and margin. But as I was praying, and then later others joined me, uh, this this book called Jude came into my mind. Now, I was quite shocked that Jude came into my mind. I hadn't read it in years. It's rarely preached in churches. It's unbelievably difficult, and I got a little nervous when I heard it. And I said to Jesus, do you want me to preach out of Jude to our community because the things in the book we are already doing and we're in trouble? And the immediate sense, myself and others got was, no, this is not a conversation for our church in a rebuke or condemnation-like style. But this is a warning, because as this church is rapidly growing in multiple places, as Jesus is doing things we have never seen in our 30-plus year history, it was like Jesus was saying to this community, be careful and be aware, because what is in the book of Jude is going to come into this church and needs to be recognized immediately for what it is and what it's not. And so I would like you, whether you're a brand new Christian, not a Christian at all, or a long-term Christian, I want you just to hear this in this tone. This is Jesus speaking to us through His Word as a warning to what actually is going to come possibly among us. Now, like I just shared, we spent three weeks Three amazing sort of gut-wrenching weeks on biblical well-being, on emotional health, on on finances, on biblical care, what we're responsible for, what together we're responsible for, what the church offers. We we dived into soul care, but now this new mini-series is sort of in the same vein in a different direction. Think about this as theological care. And if there's one little book that encompasses all we need for this part of our care and our understanding and our formation, it is this rarely read, rarely preached on little book called Jude. It's not even two chapters, it's only one chapter. It's 25 verses long. It serves as one of the most needed New Testament letters for every generation of Christians. No matter your background this morning, no matter what culture you come from, no matter your gender this morning, no matter if you grew up in a large urban center or you've lived in the suburbs your whole life or you grew grew up in some farm in the middle of nowhere. This book speaks to every generation of Christians, and Jude did not write it to one church, but to multiple churches. So let's all together turn to this 2,000-year-old letter that's so full of wisdom and packs a real punch. Now, if you have a paper Bible and you're trying to find it, it's the book just before Revelation. If it's online, it's easier, and it's going to be on the sides in all of our sites. This is how this little letter begins. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, most of us would read that and move on and think there's nothing really significant there, but there is mass significance to this one line. His name is Jude, yes, but when you read it in other languages, you see the profundity of this. Number one, Jude in Hebrew is Judah, and Jude in Greek is Judas. Now, this isn't Judas who portrayed Jesus, but this is Jude or Judas who is the brother of James. So you need to ask yourself the question, well, obviously he wanted to tell us about this. Why does it matter? Well, here's why this matters. Jude and James are brothers of Jesus himself. They are the stepbrothers of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Mary and Joseph had other kids, and these are two of the other kids. And when Jesus was alive walking around on earth, Mary's kids did not like their brother. Actually, they couldn't stand him. In Mark 6, 3, it reads like this, when he goes back to his hometown, they say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son talking about Jesus? And the brother of, notice it, James, Joseph, and who? Judas and Simon. Aren't his sisters here with us? And it's like the whole village and the family took offense at Jesus. So James, who you know is a great leader in the movement, and Judas did not believe what Jesus claimed about himself. They weren't just skeptical, they were outright cynics. They thought that he was crazy, or he was demon-possessed, or he was deeply mentally ill. If you read the language in the New Testament, they wanted to shut Jesus down and shut him up because he was a danger to himself, and they thought he was a danger to their own family. And it took years Oh, Jesus taught all those amazing things, and he did all those miracles, and he, he taught the Sermon on the Mount, and then he was crucified by the Romans, and they still did not believe. Then he physically rose from the dead three days later, and only then, we discovered this last Easter, only then does James, for example, say that his half-brother was actually who he claimed to be, Messiah, Son of God, God in flesh. See, James didn't believe any of it. And suddenly, after his brother had been brutally executed and murdered, and three days later, after he was dead and came back to life, and he met his brother, only then did James become a follower of Jesus. Remember, we read about that in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, one of the oldest statements in the New Testament. Then Jesus appeared to James and all the other apostles. So I want you to catch this this morning as we get going. James, for example, and the family, not Mary, but the family, the kids were enemies of Jesus who then became cynics, then then became skeptics, then became doubters, then they moved to become believers. And then by the time we get to Jude in the book of James, they are now leaders in their stepbrothers movement. Now, why would they do this because this is all just a big lie and they just like to let no maybe they say they just believed all this and invented this story because you know it's really advantageous to be a christian no at this moment in history there is zero advantage of being a christian you get killed for being a christian what did james say i literally met my dead brother who came back to life and because of that i believe he is who he claimed to be And so now here's the profound thing. Not just James, but now his other brother, Jude, also known as Judas, has actually repeated the same story. Now here's something even more amazing as we start this little thing. It says, back in that verse, that Jude calls himself a servant of his brother Jesus, who's the Christ. Now this is mind-blowing because servant in Greek is slave or bondservant. Now you need to understand the power of this statement, but you need to read historians to get it. Here's what one person wrote, Greeks and Romans in the time of Jesus despised slavery above everything else. They would not object to governmental service as long as it was chosen and voluntary, an expression of good virtue by a loyal citizen. But compulsory slavery, on the other hand, meant you lost your freedom and you lost your identity and you lost your dignity. And Jude comes along and says with joy, oh, and just so you know, I don't only believe that my dead brother actually came back from life. I used to think he was crazy and found out he was real. I am now his bondservant and slave, and I love it. To a Greek and Roman audience, remember Jude is writing to mixed audiences at this moment. This would be profoundly offensive and shocking But to a Jewish ear, it would have had a different ring. Remember, Jude is an Orthodox Jew who believes Jesus is the Messiah. Because to a Jewish ear, it's not as bad because Abraham, David, and Moses were all called slaves of God and it was considered a blessing. So Jude says, as he begins this little book, I love Jesus so much. Not just because he was my stepbrother who happened to be perfect. That was interesting. Deeper than that. He says, church, I love him so much because actually he's my creator too and he saved me. He says, let me remind you what he's done for me. Let me remind you what he's done for you if you are a Christian. He says, to those who have been called and those who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy and peace and love be yours in abundance. Okay, first of all, he says, I want to remind you of what forms your identity. It's not your ethnicity or gender or background or money. No, no, no. You are called. You are elected and foreknown and predestined and owned. Now this word called in Greek doesn't mean you were invited. Do you want to know God? Uh, God came and said, do you want to hang out with me? No, it means God showed up when you weren't looking for him and he chose you and selected you and as God does the choosing, it is effective. God called you and what's the point of the calling? The calling leads us and plunges us and surrounds us in the very thing that every human being is desperate for, love. God calls you, predestines you, elects you to plunge you in the love of God. You become the apple of God's eye. You become the beloved of God. Now those words would have jumped off, to the pa- jumped off the page 2,000 years ago to an original Jewish reader even more than us sitting here today, and here's why. That phrase, you are loved by God the Father, is actually taken right out of the Old Testament. And it's taken out of an encounter between God and Moses, the man who knew God the closest. It comes right out of Exodus 34 6 where God reveals himself to Moses and it says that God passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord the Lord. God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. Here it is. Abounding in love. That's the phrase he takes. God is faithful, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. See, when Jude's original hearers would have heard this, they would have gone, you're telling me that everything that God said to moses the intimacy the forgiveness the faithfulness is now given to me just as an average christian and jude says yes you've been called and plunged into the love of god and you can be near to god like moses was near to god because of jesus is anyone on march break thankful for that this morning profound but then he says oh and if that's not good enough and, and all-encompassing and identity-building enough, oh, just to share with you two, you're kept by Jesus. Oh, Jesus keeps you, and Jesus' power holds you, and Jesus' decision keeps you going. And when Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. He didn't mean, well, it's finished, and I hope you live a really good moral life so you can impress me. No, no, Jesus keeps us. His mercy holds us. He loves us despite all the stuff we do. Jesus keeps you, holds you, preserves you. Jesus is never going to let you go. When Jesus moves into your life, you may struggle in his hand, but he loves you so much, he will never not keep you. What's even more important is this, when you read this in the original language, the word kept and the word called are written in the past, but have effect in the now and never stop into the future. Now, let me remind you again, Jude is an Orthodox Jew who's decided, because of encounter and belief, that Jesus is who he claimed. And some of us probably have just missed the scandal of what just Jude did. Do you notice that he puts God and Jesus at the same level in his letter? God, Elohim, Yahweh, the great I Am, the only God, the creator God, and his stepbrother Jesus are like this. Not like this, like this. You need to understand how profound this is. Because what Jude is basically saying is Jesus is more than a teacher, he's more than some revolutionary he's more than some great moral thinker see if you are equal with God you have to be God for there is only one that actually can sit in that space to be with God and that is God himself if you are in that space you are God see either this is blasphemy drug-induced utopia or it is revelation fulfillment and truth and Judas comes along and says the kid I grew up with was not like all the other kids he's creator God in flesh and he's the only Way back to see home, so he says. Okay, dear friends, family. Although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I actually felt I needed to write you and urge you to contend for the faith that was once at all entrusted to the saints. Oh, I wanted to write you a letter that was going to be so amazing. I wanted to hang out as a pastor and a, and a friend and encourage you. I, I wanted to talk about the amazing, amazing salvation lots of us have shared together. But actually, I can't. Now, we need to stop this morning, and this is critical as we begin this series. This series has to be listened to together. Though we didn't get the original letter from Jude because he had to throw it away because something was now a problem, we need to ask ourselves the question... Well, what is the salvation we all share? Or if you're seeking here this morning, or you haven't crossed the line of faith, this is when you really need to listen. What is the beautiful, life-giving, life-transforming, good news that so changed Jude from skeptic to believer? What's the good news, the great news, the beautiful news, the so valuable news? Why is Christianity's news better than any other news? And Jude would tell you it is so beautiful and profound and life-changing only if you know how much trouble you're in. Let me just read the Bible this morning. Let me just, let me just read what the Scripture says about all of us as human beings. Paul penned this in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen down and we can't get up. And no, there's no call. We're all in big trouble second corinthians 4 4 reads like this uh satan the god of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of christ who's the image of god in other words we've not only fallen from god's presence because we've sinned but whether you believe in satan or not positionally he's blinding us and he owns us and we're slaves and we can't get out we're trapped oh and it gets worse Paul says this in Ephesians 2:1 he says when when we hadn't met Jesus we were dead in our transgressions in our sins and then it says like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath and so that means spiritually we're dead and can't actually access God and because we all walked away from a holy God and basically said we know better we're now under judgment because God is a just God who has to mete out judgment because it's his character so we've all fallen we're owned we're blind we're dead and under judgment Go in peace. Enjoy March break. No. The Bible is explicitly clear about the bad news before the good news. The Bible says, like I just said, we're under the wrath of God. You say, that's not fair. But we rebelled, not him. We're dead spiritually, blind, enslaved to evil, and destined to eternity without God. Hell. And the worst and the best of us. And see, this is what's so offensive about Christianity and actually why it's so unique compared to every other movement and worldview on earth. See, it says that the most religious person on earth right now, the most orthodox Jew, the most faithful Muslim, the most intellectual Wiccan, and the biggest agnostic, and and the most intellectually informed atheist, and the everyday person, all of us are under that. No one gets out the most powerful the most weak the most educated the most uneducated this is our condition and unlike what we've been taught in north america the scripture says we're not just sick we're not just having a little day that's sort of off we're not just sort of in trouble we're we're, the bible actually says we're not born good we're actually born sinful and we're under all of this and there's no way out rebellion, wrath, dead, blind, slave, complete loss. These aren't just words. This is the experience of all of us. And here's what's so amazing. But into that darkness of night. Oh, right. Into that unchangeable, self set up situation, the God that used to walk in the coolness of day with Adam and Eve steps back in. He comes back in to save us, to buy us back, to deliver us, to recover us, to provide escape, to rescue. And He does not send anyone else. He sends Himself... To come get us. And that is why Jude says this salvation is so good and beautiful and profound. Only when you admit and see your condition as God sees your condition. Does the work of Jesus. The work of the person of Jesus. And the acts of Jesus become so powerful. And doesn't just become good news or a news. It becomes the best news. See it's into that background that the most famous verse on earth needs to be read. John 3.16 For God so loved the what? World. The rebellious spiritually dead, satanically owned, fill in all the blanks, under wrath world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's why Jesus is called Savior. And that's why his death and resurrection is so important, because his death and resurrection is the place all that stuff got dealt with. Actually, it even gets more interesting. Because God didn't withhold His wrath. He refocused it from us to Jesus. 1 John 4.10, this is love. Oh, not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That word atonement is it. God the Father sent Jesus to deal with our stuff. Is this some weird form of cosmic child abuse where God's upstairs angry? No. God is a perfect holy judge. And God within himself, since Jesus is God, decided not only to come rescue us, decided to take actually his own wrath on himself and deal with the slander we had committed, silence our sin, and he takes away the sins of the world. And he doesn't just deal with the wrath, he cancels it, and he comes in and he deals with that ancient serpent called the God of this world, Satan, and breaks his power. That's why Jude held and his readers held and many of us sitting here today, many of you watching online, hold. That is why we know. That is why we're excited about our faith because we realize how dark and bleak the situation is. But our God is a God of love who came and rescued us and bought us back from all the stuff we had done and others had done and gives us hope in a hopeless situation. That's why Jesus, when he says these really offensive words, gets to say them. Uh, John 14:6 I'm the way the truth and life no one gets to God the Father except through me there's one one gate that's it me It's what Peter, remember, he said in the book of Acts, Acts 4.12, salvation is found nowhere else, in no one else, in no other movement, not in a church. It's only found in Jesus. There is no other name given under heaven to people by which we must be saved. Why can he say that? Because he's the one who deals with our sins. He's the only one that actually came back from the dead. He went to that side and came back and said, I've dealt with it. He's the only one who has the power, the ability, and the holiness to give us our rescue. He's the only one who overcomes every single one of our enemies, including our own blindness and selfish inclinations. And if that isn't enough, the good news gets even better because when he conquers all that, he doesn't come to us like a really jaded dad or an angry boss and says, and now you need to work for this. He says, I love you so much. I'm just going to give it to you for free. You don't have to earn anything. Just come home my beloved child the good news is that he came for us lived a life we were supposed to live and didn't died a death we deserve rose again from the dead to rescue us and give us as a gift jude believed in that good news And Jude had this happen to him, and Jude didn't believe in his brother, and then his brother actually turned out to be the guy who he really was. And to him, and to his readers, and many of us today, there is nothing more beautiful than the gospel, because the gospel is so unbelievably countercultural and life-giving. And Jude said, I wanted to talk to you all about that, but I can't. I wanted to write you about this, but actually I need to stop I need to actually start a new script. I need, I need to write you to contend for the faith that's been entrusted to all the saints, to the church. There's a major shift. A serious threat has suddenly emerged. He throws at his original letter. He has to contend for the faith. He has to actually fight for the soul of Christianity. Christianity is only decades old, and there's already a fight for its soul. Yep by the way that word contend is really strong it means agonizing all-encompassing struggle it comes from the world of athletes that literally give their last ounces are trying to get across the finish line fighting with all your might he's fighting for the soul of faith so you're going okay john i'm now a little bit more awake time change here i am what's what's the faith passed down like, just give me the summary. Give me the, give me the Wikipedia notes. The, the, what, what it, what's the summary, the creedal belief, the, the, apostles, the apostles' teaching? Well, hold on. Before I give you that, we need to step back. If you're taking notes, this is when you begin. Do you remember back in our very first series at the beginning of this year out of the Holy Spirit? Jesus, before he died, promised us something, promised us a person. He said this in John fourteen six. He said, I'm going to ask my father, my dad, And he's going to give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of, what is it? Truth. And if you read all of John, it says he's going to lead you into all truth. And then Jesus said these very particular words at the end of that in verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my, what? Can everyone say it? What is it? Teaching. My father will love them and we, father and son, will come to them and will make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So the Holy Spirit, every, I know it's early or late or wherever you are, the Holy Spirit is always about leading us always into God's truth, into the holy faith passed down. So here's the question, where is all of Jesus's teaching found? Where are all of God's stories found? Where are all God's thoughts and His revelations and His commands and His promises found? Where is the Apostles' teaching found? Right here. In the Scriptures. The written Word of God. See, the Holy Spirit not only leads us and teaches us out of this book, don't forget the other thing He did. He's the author of this. Oh yes, there are 66 books and multiple authors of multiple ethnicities and background, but the one behind all of them is the Spirit of God. Remember 2 Timothy 3.16? All Scripture is God breathed out. It's useful for teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So everyone lean in please. Let me repeat this for the third time in the last 15 weeks. So if you start hearing people in churches say things like, well, Jesus didn't talk about that, so you can do that. Or Paul, when he was writing, was really old 2,000 years ago, and he just got it wrong. Run. The Spirit of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who God used to breathe out this book. So if James talks about something, or Jude, or Moses, or Jeremiah, or Solomon, or John, or Luke, or Paul, if they wrote or spoke on anything, Jesus has talked about that subject because Jesus is God and he's the author of these 66 little books making up one book. The Bible is the great work of the Spirit of Truth. This it reveals who God is. It's sufficient. It's true. It's all you need to know about God, salvation, right living, eternal life. It's clear, not fuzzy. So let me do this again. You say, John, okay? I sort of get that. Let me ask you the question again. So, what's the summary of our faith? What is Jude saying out of this that's being threatened? Here it is There is one God, not many. And that one God is actually our creator. And we used to walk with Him. And we used to love Him. And then we sinned. And we walked away and He didn't. And because of that, there's judgment and death. And yet in that moment, God promised us we would not be left in our condition. God spoke through prophets and in and, and the Old Testament. Jesus came, born of a virgin... Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus deals with all the issues. His physical resurrection is not myth or mythology. It literally happened. If we, no matter who we are, repent, turn from our sins, and accept Jesus for who He is and what He did for us, we get saved. When we do that, the Spirit of God comes into us, and salvation is not something we earn. Salvation is faith alone through Jesus alone water baptism is the evidence of the salvation or like we say in this church it is putting on the wedding ring of the relationship you're already in and when you put on a wedding ring you take vows and baptism is where you make vows not to be saved but you say i am now willing as a christian because i've experienced every Please listen i've experienced the great love of god for me that i'm now willing to let jesus not just be my savior but my King and my Lord, and I'm going to live my life under the Scriptures because the Scriptures are God's Word and heart for me. You go, okay. So what's the point? Jude comes along and says, See, four, there is now a group of pastors who look just like me, who talk like me and know this really well, who are now threatening everything I've just taught you this group of connect leaders or or teachers are coming along and here's what they're doing. Please, I beg you to now lean in more. They're teaching that you can break your wedding vows and your marriage to Jesus and Jesus is going to be great with it. Anyone great with that if that happens in a marriage? Oh, have an affair, it's awesome. No, but they come along and say, oh, no, 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 no. You're allowed to do this. Look at verse four. Certain men, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. And they are godless men, and they have changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Now, next week, we're going to talk about what he means about long ago. But here's the point. Jude says there are some pastors, bishops, priests, teachers, connect group leaders that have slipped in among you. Now, that word slipped in is extremely um, interesting. It's intentionally used. When 2,000 years ago, people were writing novels, you know, like like Chronicles of Narnia, Harry Potter, when people wrote ancient fables that were really intriguing, they'd used this word, secretly slipped. It's when enemies in another country would come into another land, they would appear like citizens of that land, but their assignment from the other government was to intentionally subvert good laws and change them so they'd be weakened so the invasion could come. Like a corrupt defense lawyer, not all defense lawyers are corrupt, but like a defense lawyer who's corrupt, who knows the story's a lie, they try swaying the jury through lying. Now here's what's so dangerous. Please hear me this morning. What's so dangerous about these teachers is this. They do not come in and say there's many gods. Don't do it. They don't come in and say Jesus isn't God. They don't come in and say the virgin birth doesn't happen. They don't come in and say, oh, by the way, if you really want to be a Christian, you have to trust in Jesus and then work really hard and be religious, and then maybe God will like you. No, they don't preach any of that. Actually, all of their doctrine sounds right and is right. But here's what they do. They turn grace into a license for immorality they pervert they alter the results of Jesus's work in your life so they start saying this you have license to live any way you want because of Jesus I want you to imagine this does everyone remember uh, if you are old enough when you passed your license exam driving can you do raise your hand I was terrified the day I went were you terrified I did it out in Oshawa, and there was, in my high school, there was a rumor, because there was a woman called the Dragon Lady, Um, and we were all just, now I don't know if it was folklore or true, if she even existed, people used to point to this woman, maybe she comes here, I'm so sorry if it's you, I really am, we're so glad you're here, you're not, you're called and loved, yes you're not a Drake. No, but we were terrified. And then of course, and I went to Pickering High. And so, you know, there was just like, if you get the dragon lady, you're dead, man, you're dead, right? And I remember just being, and I'm dyslexic. Remember, I shared that a few weeks ago. So depth perception, some stuff with me, I was like, oh, oh no, so afraid. Um, Oh, if we had the cameras now back then. Um, But the point was like, imagine you pass. And they give you your license. I don't know, there's G1 through 20 now. We just used to get 365 and one, and we were in. Anyone remember? Good old days. And, and you get your G, and the instructor says, congratulations, you've passed. And by the way, I'm so proud of you for passing. You can drive any way you want. What? Yeah, go ahead. It's great. Uh, thanks so much. Drive 190 in the 401. It's fantastic. What? Yeah. Stoplights, doesn't matter. Just do what. What do you feel you should drive like? Now, you laugh at that because you're like, that's the most idiotic, stupid thing I've heard in my life. But in Christianity, you hear this all the time spiritually. So, okay, it actually says that these leaders come and say, trespass is good. You have the freedom to do what you want, when you want. Why? Because your sin is covered. These false teachers twist God's free forgiveness in Jesus to do what you want. So since you have God's forgiveness, there's no more penalty. And this is how they deny the sovereignty and lordship of Jesus. They say, commit adultery, immorality, and be good with it. Now, I hope some of you are saying, well, what is immorality? Well, the old word is licentiousness, unrestrained, unrestrained vice, recklessness, or self-indulgence. You're like, John, man, that sounds like Shakespeare. Can you please help me just know what that word immorality means? Sure. Peter uses the exact same word in 2 Peter 2.18. It means lustful desires of the flesh. Immorality has three meanings in the Bible. Extreme greed, worshiping other gods other than the God found through Jesus and sexual sin when you read this in context in jude this is talking about sexual sin lustful passions longing after what is forbidden so uh, evren again i'm just reading the scriptures don't get up and leave yet when you read the bible from genesis to revelation there's a unified biblical worldview and it's clear sex is given from god god has invented it it is for pleasure it's wonderful it's fun it's for procreation it's if it's done properly it's amazing and it's a gift from God. But like a mighty river that God has invented, God has placed banks on the river and when the banks overflow because actually the river floods out it causes damage. So here's what Jude is saying. For Jude, for Peter, the sexual starting point for them is this. It's Genesis. And any sexual act outside of marriage as formed by God in Genesis is called in the Bible, literally in the lexicon, immorality. For Moses, for Jesus, for Paul, actually all the biblical writers, the sexual starting point is Adam and Eve before sin entered the world. That is God's picture, His want, His design, His gift, and His command. And when we step out of that picture, God calls it what it is, sin. Now, these teachers have come along and they said, Jesus is great, check. Jesus is the son of God, check. Jesus died for my sins, check. Jesus took the bullet, check. So then they say, so now you can do anything sexually you want because you are under grace. Everything's covered. Grace, grace, more and grace. And then they'd say something like this, just from a pulpit like this or in your connect group, they'd say, and by the way, Jesus is okay with what you're doing, how you want, when you want, what you want, because God is love. And since God is love, He would never, ever deny you what you want, where you want, or what form you want it in, because God is love. Have you heard this before? Have you heard this recently? And it's in that moment where the beauty of the gospel gets broken. It's in that moment, actually, the gospel becomes garbage. Preaching a Christian life without lordship is not Christianity. They teach the grace of without life change. And so they, by their actions and their teachings, deny the sovereignty of Jesus. In other words, they have right theology but wrong application. In other words, everyone listening, here's the note you want to take. They deny Jesus has the right to demand obedience from his own slaves. They say that actually this isn't the final authority. You are. Or as Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said, Thinking about this passage, they regard themselves, not Jesus, as Lord. Paul had to address this too in the church in Rome. Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we go in sinning so grace actually gets bigger? By no means. We've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Do you see how dangerous this teaching is? They have grace right. They have God right. They have the scriptures right. And then they say, because Jesus has covered everything, it doesn't matter what you do anymore. And in that moment, Jude says you're a false teacher. Now let's step back because we're going to do this for three weeks. You got to connect these things together. Where do we start here? Here it is. The gospel is the most beautiful message ever. What did we sing today? In my rebellion, you what? Died for me. For my transgressions, you cover me. My hope, my salvation, deliver me. My gracious Redeemer, you carried me. Here's what we've learned in the past. In the law court of God, because God is perfect and everywhere, we're all guilty, and yet Jesus steps in, takes our penalty, and declares us justified, not guilty. In the world of finance and accounting, God moves us from red to black. We have a mortgage spiritually. We will never, ever, 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 ever in a million lifetimes be able to pay off, and God, because he is love, says, I'll pay off that mortgage, no problem. In the world of economics, historic economics, we are all in a slave market and we've been actually stolen and we cannot get out. And Jesus comes and says, oh, I'll pay. I'll pay to get you out of that slave market and bring you home. When we face God himself, we're covered at the altar by Jesus the priest, the mercy seat, the sacrifice. That's why Jesus is called the forever scapegoat. See, this is what Jesus has done for us. He pardons us. He liberates us. He fills the gap for us. He steps in for us. He stands for us. He pays the ransom for us. And he actually gets to call us friends. One of the most powerful summaries of the good news, the beautiful news, the news that Jude was defending was Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his own love for us. Well, we were still sinners. Christ died for us. I just need to stop and say, by the way, if you have never crossed the line of faith, if you're sitting here, you're watching online, you're up in that high school in Port Perry this morning, or you're watching somewhere around the world, if you have never said, I want to be kept and held and loved by God like that, I, if Jesus has done all that and it's true, yes to that, then can everyone just bow their heads for a moment? We'll take this holy moment. And if you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, this is what you pray. If you want all of that amazing stuff I just said, eternal life, forgiveness, hope, new starts, this is what you pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm going to admit it. I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. You're the only one who can do this. I actually, I I believe you physically died for my sins and you actually literally rose from the dead. I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's true. So I'm done. I I turn from running my own life. And I now ask you to run it. You get to be not only Savior, but Lord of my life. I invite you to come into my heart and my life. I choose to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Save me, Lord Jesus. Save me from all that darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that, you've got to share that with someone because you just crossed from life from death to life. But for us as a church, there's just a few things I need to share. Number one, do not forget that you are the beloved of God. Jude reminds us as he begins to deal with false teaching, and it gets pretty dark. Next week, by the way, is unbelievably difficult. He says, I just want to remind you, That beautiful gospel you accepted last week, a year ago, five minutes ago, 50 years ago, oh, it's beautiful. And don't forget, don't be anxious about God's faithfulness. You're still called by God. You're loved by God. You're kept by Jesus. You're actually, literally Jesus, your brother, keeps you aside. And he'll never let you go. We should be overwhelmed and delighted by the sheer staggering love of God. But see, I want you to follow the progress, the logic of this. When you know how much darkness you're in like literally in darkness and then you actually encounter the mercy and grace of Jesus and you're so shocked that God would do this for you and you accept him and then you don't just accept Him, but over a lifetime you actually begin to see what it means to be kept and called and loved by God when all of that's in place then this next thing makes sense if you don't do this this appears evil Jesus, if all this has happened to you, is your rightful king and ruler. Jude says, Jesus is so good and so kind that I want to obey him. I will love him. I will walk in his ways. Jude says that slavery to Jesus is freedom. Slavery to Jesus is best because he's perfect. He never abuses people. He never lies. He never plays games. He, listen, there's no shadow in him his word is a lamp to our feet. His word in life, his word is life-giving. And Jude says, I want Jesus, my half-brother who is God, to run my life because he will do a better job running my life than I ever would. And, and Jude reminds us of the love of God and says, oh, if you have forgotten as a Christian, you need to say, I am your willing slave, Jesus. Help me to love your word. Help me to be conformed to your word. Give me joy as I joyfully want the lordship of Jesus. It only makes sense when you've done this. For us who have walked with Jesus for a while, slavery to Jesus is exceptionally beautiful. But that is when we come to this point we need to sit with for three weeks. Are you a false teacher? Or are you under the spell of one? Paul was writing to a church in Corinth and he said these simple words. Can I read them to you this morning? 1 Corinthians 6, 9, do you not know wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Oh, Oh, don't be deceived. Like, don't believe the lie. No matter how good the preacher is. Neither the sexual immoral or idolaters, those who worship other gods, or adulterers, or men who have sex with men, or thieves, or the greedy, or drunkards, or slanders, or swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 19, do you not know if you're a Christian Your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, who you received from God. You're actually not your own. You've been bought at a high price. You, You honor God with your body. Now, is this saying, by the way, if I've done anything on that list, thought about it, done it, that's it, I'm done? No. All of us have stuff. This is not saying if we have orientation or struggle or desire, that's it. What this is saying is many of us as Christians, though all of that is true of us, we've experienced the mercy of God, but we no longer build our identity in that list. We no longer celebrate anything in that list. We no longer relish that list. We no longer affirm what God has redeemed us from. But false teachers come along, and this is what they will tell you in Jesus' name because of His grace they will say, no, Paul is wrong. All those people who commit those acts will inherit the kingdom of God because if they say yes to Jesus and His grace covers them, they can keep doing it and there are no consequences at all. So if in your heart or in your connect group you start teaching that sin is not sin, you are becoming a false teacher. And why is Jude so explicit and un-Canadian and deeply offensive? Because it takes away from the beautiful, glorious gospel of Jesus. So here's the question this morning. And remember, let me clarify, this is only to Christians who have said yes to Jesus. This is not speaking to the outside world. The outside world, they live as they want because they have not embraced the one we have. But are you teaching things that you know the Bible says is wrong? Or are you listening to podcasts or other people saying, no, 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 it's okay. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ always calls sin, sin, because sin leads us to a Savior. So here's what we need to do. We're going to respond, and I'm going to pray now in a few ways, and then we're going to prepare for communion. So could we at all our sites just do this? Just, there's so much to think about. Some of you are happy now, some of you are angry, some of you want to throw something at me, some of you are tired. It's okay, just let it sit. Lord, here's what my prayer is for us. Number one, pray for people just to accept the glorious gospel of Jesus and help us as Christians who have been on the journey for a long time to really, really appreciate the beauty of the gospel. Lord, I pray for people who have forgotten that they're kept by Jesus and called by God and are starting to believe that God doesn't love them. Lord, deal with that. Lord, we, if you're a Christian this morning, you pray this out louder in your heart. Uh, I once again affirm my slavery to Jesus. I'm in. Yes. But my real prayer is this, Lord. Lord, would you, not, don't let the devil speak or uh, parents speak or heart like just... If there are people in this church who are already teaching false things, even unintentionally, or if there are people who have believed false things, would you begin to help them sort it out? Help them to see why your word is truer than what they've believed. Help them to trust you. Deliver our church from false teaching and help us to point to the beauty in the gospel of Jesus. Yeah, amen. It's interesting how we're going to end now. Um, as we start March break and time change and all this, and we hear a very difficult, very unCanadian, very jarring message. How appropriate to respond in our service with communion. Uh, Communion—you may hear it as the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, the Lord's Table. So what Jesus started 2,000 years ago, just before he was executed, he took a piece of bread and he ripped it in half and he said to his followers, hey, my body's going to be broken like this. And then he took one of those three cups of wine at the table. He took a cup of wine. And he said, by the way, my blood is going to be spilled. But here's the good news. Out of this act, there's going to be a new agreement, a new covenant. It's called grace. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to step in the gap. Everything I talked about. So when we do communion as Christians, and think about it, I say this a lot. Hundreds of millions of Christians have done this today already big cathedrals little house churches in china under trees in southern sudan our brothers and sisters in all forms wearing robes waving flags and everything in between (laughs) have taken communion together communion reminds us that we're forgiven communion is the reminder of the glorious beautiful gospel of christ communion is a reminder that we need to repent of sin Jesus took so much, so the Bible says that if there's sin in our life, including believing false teaching, we need to repent before we take this. Nothing magical about this, but this is the symbol of Jesus' death and resurrection. This is also a reminder that one day we're going to see Jesus face to face, we're going to have a huge party with him, we're going to eat, and we'll never do this again. But the Bible is clear on two things. All Christians, three things, the Bible says all Christians are welcome to take this if you're a true follower of Jesus. But if you are a follower of Jesus and you're on the run and you refuse to submit to Jesus' authority and lordship, it says don't take it. You, ju- you drink judgment on yourself. Like you're, you're not willing to commune, eat, sit with the person that you love yet. And it says if you're not a Christian yet, it's okay. Just let it pass. It's not sign- it's just You have not accepted the one it represents, but it's a great place to meet him. But for us today as we gather... When you take communion as it's passed and we sing the song that's been built out of our community, could you just say to Jesus, thank you for such a beautiful gospel for me. And thank you for who you are. Could you say, yeah, I, you gave up, I'm a willing slave. And if God convicts you of anything, of any sin, could you just take a moment to repent? So Lord Jesus, thanks for this moment. Thanks for your will. Thanks that you died for us. Thank you that you took everything for us. Just meet us in this holy moment as communions pass. Just meet us. Convict us. Do your strange work, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. It's going to be passed. You can take it when you're ready. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.